0: We have a loaded Friday getting you ready for the NFL season edition of the Ryan Russillo Podcast. Kevin Clark, Super Bowl picks. Also going abroad, life advice, new segment NBA facts, and why the Dak Prescott story is the biggest thing from Thursday night's game. It's the Ryan Russillo Podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. 18 plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, Start planning your next getaway and find your Perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. We have a
0: packed, packed show today, but I want to spend a few minutes talking about last night's win to kick off another season for the NFL Tampa at home against Dallas. Great game. A lot of fun. Uh, That was one of those classic games where you just look at the scoring of it in Tampa. If Godwin hangs on to the football, you're like, okay, this game's over. And you look back and say, you know, Dallas is competitive, but still Dallas had a chance to win this thing. Zerline couldn't get a kick hits a deep one, and then Brady brings it back, and they win. So a few things to look at here. Uh, Tampa, there's a bunch of numbers here, and I'm going to go ahead and think because I'm going to do some more of this next week too. Sheil Capadia, Mike Sando, The Athletic, PFF, Football Outsiders, ESPN, and the Bet MGM totals odds, uh, which are a big part of all the research that I do and kind of put it together in my own little thing for the start of the season. But – Tampa, for anyone picking them to win the NFC and make it to the Super Bowl, it makes all the sense in the world. Here's a couple numbers for you. All right. Yes, they were one of the healthiest teams. And a lot of times the health thing, you know, and the extremes can be lucky okay, You're really unlucky. I think San Francisco was incredibly unlucky. I think Tampa was lucky. But if you look at the top 31 guys that took 200 snaps or more, all right? So Tampa's roster last season had 31 players that took over 200 snaps. All 31 of those guys are back for a team that won the Super Bowl. That doesn't happen. I'd even argue the defensive line depth situation is even better. And then watching Vita Vea last night just destroy the interior of a Dallas line that I thought at times of Tyron Smith looking better. Um, the right guard that was in for Zach Martin had his moments as well, but Vita Vea when you're crushing it at the middle, then everything else kind of happens. So you have that part of it. Um, you also have the bet MGM line there that, that Tampa has as of right now on wind projections, the second easiest schedule going. And a lot of that has to do with the division on top of everything else. So anyone looking at Tampa, And that Brady's arm strength looks as good as it does already. Maybe that slows down. Maybe he finally gets tired. But I don't know what to do anymore with Brady. I really don't. You know, the job is to always have something to say. I don't know what else can possibly be said about Brady. To a certain extent, that also extends to LeBron as well, right? You go, okay, you know, if this guy wins another one, what's it? LeBron, unfortunately for him, but also, I think, also motivated by him, is everything LeBron does is immediately followed by the Michael Jordan element. All right? Valid, invalid, don't care, but it's a reality. Brady, there's nothing. There's nothing to do. I mean, we're going to do Bill Russell comps for him. That's probably not happening. But I don't, I I mean, are we going to have other quarterbacks 10 years from now catch up with pliability and they're all going to be playing into their mid-40s? I mean, imagine drafting someone now and going, hey, we hope he can be our starter for 20 years. I mean, that still doesn't seem normal. So his success doesn't seem normal. He looked terrific. He's throwing the football all over the place. And I don't even think his receivers were that consistent. I would say the one part about the Brady thing that I think is weird, I don't think the announcers, Michaels and Collinsworth, have to keep bringing up Antonio Brown's off-the-field stuff. But if I were Brady, I'd be like, can you guys downplay that we're best friends? Although Brady played it up. So, I don't know. Of all the guys that I would want people to think were my best friend, Antonio Brown would not be one of my first picks. On the other side of the ball, Dak Prescott, for like every quarterback that comes in a league where i'm like i'm not sure we'll see what happens guys kind of put up numbers he this guy's just a baller i mean he is beyond the throws and the physical part of it and the toughness and it was weird some people were kind of saying like hey the numbers are huge but i don't necessarily love the way he was throwing the football well whatever it was it worked i mean here you want some numbers here okay this is now, coming into this game, so now it's 22 starts, but 21 starts with Kellen Moore. Dak averaged about 322 passing yards per game in 21 stats, and that number bumps up, all right? This is a much better number. In Dak's last three full games that he's played, 58 attempts, 403 yards, three touchdowns, loss. 58 attempts, 502 yards, four touchdowns, loss. 57 attempts, 472 yards, three touchdowns, loss, all right? So we're talking about an average of 58 attempts a game, going for 460 a game, just under four touchdowns, and a 0-3 and record because we knew coming into Dallas' defense. Um, although I thought, I thought I saw some glimpses of things. And some of these games just get out of hand now. You're talking the first game, the humidity, all that stuff. Even Dungy had pointed out at halftime, like cramping up and all these guys. But Dak... For all the conversations that we've had about Dak, I mean, you just can't even put him outside of the top 10. And I think he's even closer to top five because there's an it factor with him too, which is what Brady has kind of built his career on. Where I think Dak, he just, you know how everybody was arguing like hooper basketball player and whatever that means. It can feel dismissive if you're only the basketball player. Whatever the football equivalent of that is, it's Dak is that. He is the hooper, all right? He's a guy that just goes out there and fucking balls and I think everybody buys in, and this is somebody coming off some some real injuries here. But it also speaks too to the contract conversation around him that was so ridiculous for all the people that were arguing, you know, well, you know, does Dallas not believe in him for this or all these different? Things? It's like, no, man, he just wanted to rate, wait it out and make even more money. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. If you go average annual salary with the new money, okay, he is third in the NFL behind Mahomes and Allen at forty million dollars a year. Um the practical guarantee on this is 126 which is in the ballpark of where Allen and Mahomes are. I know 2 years ago on this podcast I'm not an NFL insider. I do hear stuff from time to time. Clearly I'm more plugged into the NBA. It's not even worth debating. But I remember with Chris Long I was like, you know, this this angst about Dak not getting an offer. He did get an offer and it's huge and he turned it down and even with a busted of ankle, he ended up bringing in 4 years 160, which is like real money. Like he's actually going to get most of this. And if he doesn't get the third year or the fourth year of this deal, it'll mean that he was successful and they worked this all out again. So all that contract talk and some of the topics that were brought up, none of it was relevant. It was him turning down a really big offer, hoping to get an even bigger one. And he got it. And by the way, he deserves all of it. So yeah, Dallas, I don't know what to tell you about your defense. Hopefully that offensive line holds up. Ezekiel Elliott, part of this once again, last night was an example of why you don't take running backs in the top 10. I mean, look between Fournette, Zeke, I think we all still hold out hope for Barkley, but man, it's tough to take that guy number two. Um, you know, I was going through it like, who are the top ten running backs that have been drafted in the last decade that have worked? It's it's only McCaffrey who played 16 games each of his first three seasons, only three games last year. So let's hold off and say like McCaffrey's forever damaged. But, you know, McFadden, I still can't believe C.J. Spiller wasn't a better player in the NFL. But you go back to like the last, you got to go all the way back to Adrian Peterson in 2007 as a top 10 running back selection that you felt good about. So yeah, Zeke, great blocking, but there's still some moments with the football with him. And I know Tampa's defense is just coming off the numbers last year, not the defense that you want to run against. But I, I think that when, Maybe Zeke's gonna, you know, he'll have some big game, and people be like, "Oh, wait, is Zeke back? That guy's just not what the the price tag is." And honestly, I think that contract with Dallas and Jerry Jones is the only place he would have gotten that deal. But it's just another example, again, of a guy at the top of the draft. I, I, you know, we know that most teams won't do it. There's there's like one win in the last decade from a top 10 pick. Okay, real quick, I want to run through a couple numbers for you to get you ready for the first weekend for some expectation. All right, Capati, as I mentioned, athletic Love, and we're going to have him on again here soon. Uh, He points this out with rookie quarterbacks that actually play because we've got Trevor Lawrence starting, Zach Wilson, Lance potentially, Fields potentially, Mac Jones is the week one guy for New England. Um, Here's the number. Over the last 10 years, 31 rookie quarterbacks who've seen significant snaps, seven have performed like above average starters. Dak, RG3, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, and Andrew Luck. 24 of the 31, that's at 77%, have performed at a below average level, okay? So if you go EPA, expected points added, attribute that number to rookie quarterbacks, all right, who played, the median rookie season is Mike Glennon, who's about 23rd in his last full season um, at expected points added, all right? So for all of these, I'm as excited as you are to watch every single one of these guys. The odds are three of the five, three of the four are easily below average guys. Or maybe we're blessed with a really special class. It's also important to point out from the same piece. Over the last 10 seasons, 34 wide receivers were drafted in the first round. Their median production as rookies, 605 yards. Six of the 34 First-round receivers produced thousand-yard seasons as a rookie, and this is a season where we have Jamar Chase, Waddle, Devontae Smith, Kadarius Tony, and Rashad Bateman, all as first-round receivers. So the quarterbacks and receivers that were—I'm just as excited as you are about them. We need to always temper our expectations for their production. Final number here: looking at the PFF rankings positional grouping, I looked at the five worst secondaries that they graded out from last year. Here was the combined record. Detroit, Las Vegas, Jacksonville, Dallas, Atlanta. They graded Detroit as the worst secondary all the way down. The combined record, 24 and 56. I think their secondary rankings are obviously influenced based on the group positioning stuff that they saw from last year without much turnover. But their secondary rankings from worst to what would it be? 27th here. Atlanta, Dallas, Detroit, Las Vegas, and the Jets. So if you're one of those five teams, I know there's some outside hope for Atlanta turning things around. Uh, They grade them out as the five worst secondaries. Let's talk with Kevin Clark and go abroad with Saruti as well. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate? Hate. Is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like you should. Gain season. Throw in a little something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. At the start of this podcast, talking a little Tampa, so let's bring in Kevin Clark, who we're going to talk NFL, getting ready for the NFL season, and, of course, we're going to go abroad a little bit because it's long overdue. A lot of stuff yeah. going on in the F1 yes. world. Maybe preview the track a little. Uh, okay, Kevin, I, I'm i going Chiefs-Rams uh, the Chiefs' pick is not aggressive. The Rams' pick isn't exactly aggressive either. I, I think there's an argument that they have the best defense in the league. I love the idea of Stafford with this offense. I'm going all in. There's a, there's alarming stats that tell you, man, did they help Goff along, and now Stafford can do a lot of the stuff Goff was bad at. But with Tampa, because we know look, the health they had was incredible. They bring back the top 31 guys, yep. snaps. Um, I've been over all this stuff. What were your Super Bowl picks, and if if not – Tampa. I mean, did you pick up anything from their win against Dallas that you think is important for the rest of the year?
2: So I have Green Bay winning the Super Bowl over Kansas City. Um, we'll put a pin in that for a second. You know, with last night, Bruce Arians had a really funny comment. He said he tells the guys all the time they don't don't learn anything more from losing as you do from almost losing. So like, I think they like these kind of scares and to see where they're at and Tom Brady likes testing himself especially early in the season. Remember, they were not a juggernaut last year, um especially early in the season. Uh they they won three road games. There's a reason that they had to do that. Um Tom Brady prides himself on getting better as the season goes along. We've seen that a million times. And so I think this is probably a positive step that they got a little bit of a scare. Um I think that obviously they have incredible roster talent. I think Brady was doing things, you know, at one I think over the course of the game, his depth of target, so basically how far he was throwing down the field was a yard and a half more than Dak Prescott, which over a game is a pretty astounding number. And so he's going to be able, he still has the arm strength. We saw that last night. um I think that he's able to, we saw him kind of uh put Micah Parsons in a torture rack a little bit. Um, he's still, I, I know that that wasn't the question, but he still got it. And so I think that that's pretty much all. That was the question I needed answered.
0: Yeah, because there's a lot that actually didn't work out for him. I mean, Godwin didn't have a great night. Mike Evans didn't nope. have a great night. Uh, And then, you know, Scotty Miller wasn't really even a factor. He had that one big catch there later. I think the Gronk part of it's really promising because I didn't think he was all that good last year. He came on a little bit. Uh, The problem with Gronk is he gets older, too, and it was the problem when he was younger. He's so hard to bring down that I think he takes way more punishment because he's a mutant. And him being fresh week one, you saw that happen a couple times where like he'll get up and be like, wait, am I hurt? Yeah. Am I hurt? And you're like, Oh, I'm hurting, but I mean, you know and then
2: it's oh, I need back surgery. Oh, whoops, yeah. I need back surgery.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, oh wait, my spine's busting three spots. So I I think his arm strength and not having any kind of running game whatsoever because both those teams couldn't run it against each other last night. Or they, you know, I don't think you can run it against Tampa. Every number tells you you yeah. couldn't have the last year. All those guys are back. Uh, the Vita Vea part of this was terrific. But I think from a Brady, I mean, this is just what's so nuts about it, between the release and the arm strength, and I thought his arm got stronger and stronger last year yes. as he got more comfortable yes. in an offense yes. where he's taking shots. So, you know, week one, I'd say the rest of the NFC is going, okay, well, at least week one, this guy doesn't look like he's taking a step back at 44 years old.
2: Yeah, and you have to remember, so as the season went along last year, they started to use more play action and more motion. And those are really statistically kind of the cheat codes of modern football. Defenses don't really have an adjustment to it. Linebackers still bite. Safety still bite. uh, Motion still confuses guys. You know, I was talking to Adam Zimmer, the the defensive coordinator in Minnesota the other day, um, and he was saying, we don't have defenses as a whole. We have not innovated to keep up with that. And so you have Tom Brady, who's already dominant, and then he's getting this help from the offense, just a kind of a league-wide trend, and so that's important. I think that from a from a defensive standpoint, you know, Andrew Callahan made the point last night. Um, the Patriots are going to probably run no huddle the entire game against against Tampa Bay because they want to get Vitavea and Sue tired. Um, they're going to want to run the ball, and so I'm intrigued to see how these teams make this adjustment. You know, like I I I, I joke all the time, but it's actually true. Like I don't I I feel like certain teams aren't tested um in a given season until they've played the patriots to just see what kind of or andy Reid to see what kind of wrenches that they throw with them and so i'm intrigued to see how they attack that that defense over a given season um you know going back to to the offense you know mike evans was basically taken out of the game by trayvon Diggs. i think get one reception when when Diggs was shadowing him and it didn't matter and that's the thing with his offense right now is that tom brady who as we know like he is so he likes not, not just testing the limits, but finding out to the exact kind of inch where he needs to throw the ball in a November game. Um, and the more comfort he gets in knowing where everybody is and the continuity part of it is so important to me. You know, I think you saw last night, Ryan, the 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 improvisation to Gronk for that touchdown. Um, that's only going to grow. I remember talking a couple of years ago about the Josh McDaniels, Gronk, Brady triumvirate. And they said the most important thing is it's almost like a basketball team where they don't have to have something in the playbook they can just say, all right, well, remember this thing we did in 2012? Let's just do it right now. Let's just do it right now. Like, we not going to tell anybody. We're not going to tell anybody we're just going to do it right now. And that is what's important. We have a Gronk, and that's what it's going to be important. As that offense grows, is they're going to be able to do more and more and more of that stuff because Brady is the master.
0: Right, and I just want to check for people that are like, wait a minute, Godwin had the big catch late, 9 for 105 and a touchdown, but he fumbles that football in. Um, And it was just so funny that Collins yep. brought that up. Remember Heather talking about like this guy never drops a football and then like every time they brought up that he never drops a football, he would drop a football. <laughs> in. Remember in the playoffs? You're like, you guys keep bringing this up and you're absolutely jinxing him the entire time. But if he doesn't fumble in the end zone that one time, the game's over. They're up two scores and, and it's likely even with Dallas' offense, they're not coming back in that game. Okay, so why Green Bay then?
2: So I think that the NFC is so bunched up. And I think that, you know, it was funny. I was reading about Tony Finau, the golfer, a couple weeks ago, and they're saying, why can't Tony Finau win? And the answer is that unless someone is super dominant, there's just like 15 people who are bunched up at all times. And then it's luck from there, right? There's a couple of things you can do, but it's mostly luck. And I view the NFC the same way. There are four or five teams where they all have top end roster talent. They've all got the quarterback. And it comes down to a... Luck and I just kind of think that if you just keep making NFC Championship game appearances, eventually you'll just get there. This isn't a Sisyphus situation; just rolling, rolling the rock up the hill. But they also have an incredible roster, and I think that the the Aaron Rodgers, oh, I don't want to be here. I don't, I don't like the front office thing. I think that obscured how much talent there actually is on that roster. Like we acted like he was, he was playing for like the Houston Texans here. He's not. He was playing for a Green Bay Packers team that has that will once he comes off pup. David Bakhtiari was one of the best tackles in the league. Have maybe the best wide receiver in the league, who I picked to win Offensive Player of the Year, in Devontae Adams. Uh, Jair Alexander is elite. Like there is some real talent there that I think got overshadowed by the Rodgers narrative. And I I think that they can they had the talent to to get to the Super Bowl. And once that happens, it's kind of luck. Um, I'm picking the Packers because they're damn good and they're due.
0: Yeah, the Packers feel like a more aggressive version of Seattle because, in a way, I feel like nobody talks about Seattle anymore yeah. It has as much to do with the drama. Now, I'm not telling you they look good towards the end of the year. We know how bad the defense was, against, especially against the past, the beginning of the season, like historically incompetent levels. But it's still a talented roster. They still win 10 or more games every single time. I actually think that number at the Colts is one of the more surprising lines. Like, it's so bad it makes you want to bet the Colts. The Colts are Getting two and a half points at home against Seattle with Wentz coming in with a complete unknown, you know Seattle blitzes a little bit more. They did more last year with Carroll, most in a decade. Wentz mm-hmm. is terrible against pressure, so I'm not telling you, hey, everybody, pick Seattle, to go to the Super Bowl. But they get talked about like a seven and nine team, which you know, again, at the extra game, throw whatever record you want on there. Which I feel like Green Bay with Rodgers and all the complaining, it's blinded people to be like, you know. That's why the Rogers thing, I didn't have a ton of sympathy for him. I didn't think he was specific enough. I think he was just mad. And it's like, look, you're not on some team that's never getting, you know, like you're acting like this team has sucked for five years and you're (laughs) wasting your prime and they're really good and they're, they're in the mix, you know? And to me, I guess being one of the teams you can legitimately say wins a Super Bowl and it's not going to be a surprise should be enough, but it wasn't for him.
2: Uh, I'm completely in agreement with you. By the way, where are you on the Colts in general after this, this month?
0: I don't – I mean, you know, whether it's the receiving core, the overhauling of the offensive line, I mean, they've actually probably you – no, know, look, I, I don't like them. How about that? Let me, just, let me just put it that way. I don't – Neither do I. Now, I do think that the Wentz pushback if he's healthy, there's no way he's going to be as bad as he was last year. You have the two extremes. You have last year talented. on the bad side. Right. Yeah, and they have 2017 where he's in the running for the MVP. The years around that, he's average. You know, he's he's average, but he's got to figure out a way to stop taking these hits, which he's never quite figured out. It's like RG3 with more chances to get hit. You know, where right. Robert Griffin just never figured out like, hey, you know, got to protect your body a little bit. You can't extend every single play and put yourself at that kind of risk. And if he hasn't figured that out, he's just going to get hurt again. But I don't think he's as bad or as good as we've seen at his extremes.
2: The one thing is interesting because every – kid in that generation grew up taking hits. They just take more. Andrew Luck is in that generation. He took a ton of hits. And, and you know, obviously that was a different path. But everybody born in 1990 to 1995 or whatever it was, the way they played offense, they, they just let let themselves up uh, for, for getting punishment. But the best quarterbacks learned how to take hits, learned how to take dives. I mean, I think Kyler Murray is kind of the guidepost for this. He's so small he has to figure it out. But he just bails and just goes down if he's like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to extend this I'm not gonna get an extra yard like I need to preserve my career I'm going down and Wentz is bigger and I think he thinks he can take the hits but nobody can take that amount of hits
0: so if we stay in the AFC and going back through it you're like okay so Mahomes was 14 and one last year Mm -hmm. so you know the last impression could actually be, be misleading Um, Once the tackle situation was what it was in the Super Bowl, we saw what happened. They've tried to overhaul the entire offensive line. If that offensive line is good again, I don't know why Mahomes isn't going to light up the league again. And I say that, so there's a bigger question. Let's just start here. Why are people anti the Chiefs? And then we'll get to the other top teams in the AFC.
2: So a lot of the analytics people think the Chiefs don't have... A elite like top three roster or top five. A couple people kind of came at me for saying that the Chiefs had a top five roster, which I found interesting. If you look at it, which you shouldn't, I think the argument is if you weigh every position equally, sure, maybe the Browns or the Ravens pre pre the, this this rash of injuries have a a more talented roster or whatever but that's not how this works that that's that's not how any of this works Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football at the most important position in football and that has a lot to do with it and then you add in Travis Kelsey then you add in Tyree kill then you add in um, all the the positional you know Orlando Brown shoring up the offensive line the offensive line is probably going to be better in Kansas than it ever has and I kind of think that because Mahomes did so well, they lost the tackles, and then he played so poorly. We've now overrated previous Chiefs offensive lines. They were never like the best line in football, and now they have a chance to be really, really good. And I understand there were a lot of the dorks, uh, and I say that lovingly. Uh, hated the Orlando Browns trade. Thought it was an overpay. Well, I don't actually see it that way. I think that Patrick Mahomes needs to stay upright and needs to stay happy. Happy. Like this is a this is a human business. Keep Patrick happy. Brett Beach saw Mahomes in the elevator bank in Tampa after the Super Bowl and said, "We're going to fix this." When you do that, you have to come through. And if it takes a first round pick, I'm fine with that. You overpay to keep your superstar happy. He, he's owed what 480 million dollars still. Keep him upright. Keep him happy. I'm fine with that. Overpaying is a lot better than trying to play the long game with Patrick Mahomes and say, hey, buddy, we're, we're going to take a year off. No, just keep him healthy. I mean, I think that there were a lot of people in the Chiefs organization who were really scared for Patrick's health, like legitimate health in that game. And Veach told me the toe, by the way, it's one of those things. I know people say this all the time. That toe, when they fixed, up, fixed him up in the offseason, some of the doctors looked at it and said, I have no idea how he was even playing. So it wasn't just the line. It was Mahomes was beat up, all that stuff. And I think that for me, for the Chiefs, you have to, you have to attack. The, 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 you have to see the ball and hit the ball every single year. And that's what they've done. And so the idea that maybe the Browns are deeper, I'm fine with. Whatever the Packers are deeper, fine. I'm good with that argument. But I'm, I am, I am pro-Chiefs. You also
0: have to remember, too, like the talent you're losing at the tackle positions between Schwartz and Fisher, like that's a big deal when those guys were right. Now, they didn't have Schwartz last year, but between the injury and retirement and then Fisher, like and then now those guys are gone. And I thought they were a little stubborn with their play calling offensively. And I left the Super Bowl actually more impressed with Mahomes. Like I don't know that I could have been any more impressed with Mahomes than I already was. And I go. I don't know, He made some plays in that game that I still can't believe, but I thought they kept trying to do the same thing over and over and over again. Um, You know, when you mentioned the Chiefs here, as you said, some analytics people don't like their roster as much as others do, and and we can all look at any rankings and, and just take them however you want. But if you go to the PFF stuff, this is what I think is interesting. They have Tampa as the number one overall roster. They actually have the Chiefs second, uh, okay. which I, I like that they're heavily weighting the Mahomes, Kelsey, Tyreek. I agree. Thing. That they're just I saying, agree. hey, look, like those three guys are that good. So yeah, you want to tell me there's other units that are better than them across the board? Fine, but we're not doing that. So I like that they did that. I don't know if there's enough national attention to the idea that again, even if you disagree with PFS rankings, they have the Browns and Bills as the third and fourth best yeah. rosters. I don't know that that has has made enough noise, and that's why whenever somebody's saying like, oh, I might go with the Bills, you're like, wait, am I really going to pick the Bills? or the Browns. You feel better about Allen right now as a quarterback than you do Baker, but it's something to be said of like, you know, you start looking at those units of how the offensive line grades out in Cleveland. I think it'd be surprising if Buffalo's defense wasn't much improved from where it was last year with the way they've invested in their front. Yeah. So uh, give me a sense of like what other guys, you know, not just your opinion, but also when you're talking to teams about what they really think are coming out of Buffalo and Cleveland.
2: So I spent some time with Brandon Bean in Buffalo and we talked about, how he viewed last season, does he look at it as, okay, we're going to look at the 2020 season and we're going to evaluate where we were, or do you just look at the game they lost to the Chiefs? And the answer, surprisingly, was they just looked at the game they lost <laughs> to the Chiefs. And they drafted Greg Rousseau because of it. They did not want to draft two pass rushers with the first two picks, but that that's how the board fell to them. I think in a healthy way, the Chiefs are in their head. In a healthy way. In a way that's like, I'm not. It's a different comparison, but it's you know Jordan having the Pistons in his head that 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 kind of healthy motivation. They know what their target is. They have enough roster talent, Ryan, where they know that they're going to be in the mix, and so they're just looking for the one or two pieces that that can get them to beat. Mahomes, which is to get pressure on them, and then and then get lucky and have have Josh Allen um deliver for them. You know, it was interesting to me. I had Shil Kapati on the podcast the other day, and I said, "How do you beat the Chiefs?" And he said, "I think everyone's looking at it wrong. I think you you improve the offense because you have to outscore them. You're not going to beat the Chiefs 13 to 10. You're going to beat them 45 to 40. And I think there's too much. He thinks there's too much emphasis put on." On the defense, when really it should be you're trying to get into a shootout and hope you can win and make a couple plays. Modern defense just is just doing enough. Nick Saban a couple years ago said good, de- good offense beats good defense. That was never true before. It's true now. Nick Saban has given up on good defense. He knows what modern defense is. And so... I think the Browns are a little bit different. I think that they're not looking at the Ravens or the Steelers or the Bills or the Chiefs and saying we have to specifically beat these teams. Um, Andrew Barry is a little more pragmatic, I would say. Um, spent some time with him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, really impressed with him. But I think that they're, they're more, I, I know this is a dirty word, they're more process-oriented in Cleveland. They're not, they're not all in on this season or anything like that.
0: You spent a lot of time with Andrew Barry, the GM uh, of the Browns. I, did. I mean, You have a new new piece up that just came out this week. He's the youngest. He's from Harvard. Everybody kind of knew that you made a great comp there. You're like, this is like Trevor Lawrence of front yeah. offices. Uh, I, it hit the Baker extension. Um, what they're expecting with Odell, what they think they have defensively. Like, is this team, if they're coming out of the AFC, is that a surprise to you right now if I tell you that's what happens?
2: It's not a surprise, um, but I think that there's a, there's three tiers of for me of AFC contenders. And I think it's, I guess you could say four, but chiefs are alone. Bills and Ravens are on my second tier. Browns are on my third tier. And then there's like, you know, the surprise, you know, the Titans and, and, and those sort of teams, the Colts, I guess you could say. Um, And I I don't really consider that fourth tier serious, but no, I, I wouldn't be surprised. It would just take a leap from Baker that, I don't think he's necessarily capable of. He of those four teams, he's the worst quarterback. That doesn't mean he's bad. It just means he's not as good as Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, or Patrick Mahomes. That's fine. Um, I think the the extension there is one of the most important decisions any player, any 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 GM has to make in the next couple of years. The Browns have one sort of on-the-horizon problem. Number one is that they lead the NFL in the amount of what over-the-cap calls high salaries. That's guys making between 8 and $16 million a year. And then they have a bunch of young talent that they're eventually going to have to sign. So they already got Nick Chubb in the fold. Uh, Baker Mayfield has his fifth-year option next year, and then he's due for an extension or maybe a franchise tag or whatever. Um, But they've got to figure that out. Part of the... The kind of the runoff of, of the quote unquote process is that they actually have a lot of really good young players and it's going to get expensive to keep all those guys. But I think Barry understands it. I mean, I, I just think that I've never really been around. The one thing I'll say, Ryan, is Andrew Barry graduated college a year before me. Um, and I think that in a lot of cases, when a guy has a lot of success and he's 33 years old, 34 years old, there's a lot of animosity around the league or any industry, any industry. And everybody in the NFL is like, no, 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 dude, this, this guy is for real. Like this guy deserves it. There's no animosity. Kevin Stefanski joked about how it was annoying, how young he was. And and pretty much everybody else I talked to was just like, nah, like we would, if this guy didn't deserve it, we'd be pissed off. And like, what the hell is this? Like, why is this Harvard guy getting this job? No, 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 no. Like everybody understands this guy's a legit phenom and, and he's, he's in the, he's in command of a pretty good situation there.
0: The way quarterback contracts usually work is whoever's the most recent to get the extension yes. outgains the other guys. Uh, we saw that with Allen after the Dak deal. What happens with Baker?
2: He's not going to. I don't. I don't think he's going to get that. that I think he's going to get a little bit less. I think he's going to get a little bit less. And I, I don't think we're ever going to get to the quote unquote middle class quarterback like we did a, a couple of years ago. If you remember when Ryan Fitzpatrick signed his Band Aid deal, he was like the only quarterback making between eight and twenty million dollars. I think that's what it was and that used to be there used to be this huge gap and now it's going to like from like 8 to like 30 and we're going to get there eventually because of the way the cap is rising but i think the mahomes thing set a limit on kind of kind of put a ceiling on quarterback pay a little bit for the next couple of years because we know it. by the way i think the mahomes deal already a bargain already a bargain when you just look at it and and just how court, and how the next wave of extensions are going to go it's already what? It, when you dig into
0: what it could be with TV yeah. money which means they're probably going to redo it anyway yes like i know the headline of that number is astonishing but it it isn't you know there's a way he could it's have not. played this out i mean that's why the dak stuff drove me crazy as i brought it up at the top like dak just kept betting on himself like he wasn't he wasn't he was being offered big money he's like no nah, i'm just going to wait this thing out wait this thing out so uh the mahomes headlines a big one but i completely agree with you that if you look at it and the way it's structured um you know he could he could have been more difficult about it if he wanted to be.
2: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So Baker, to me, you're looking at maybe maybe thirty four, thirty five a year, which is a little bit more than the kind of wave of golf went extensions a few years ago. I think that that seems about right.
0: Yeah, thirty five, thirty four. That would put him because now we're looking at like some of the guys that are outside of you know the cycle of signing, which is what you always have to look at here. You know that would put him. I don't know, outside the top five or something like that. You know, you'd be ahead of Goff. So,
2: yeah. So it makes sense. It goes Mahomes at 45, Allen 43, Prescott 40, Watson 39, Wilson 35. So Rodgers at 33.5. But then again, Rodgers turned down the deal that would have made him the highest paid player in the NFL. So that's kind of separate. I mean, Goff's at 33.5, Cousins is at 33, Wentz is at 32. I'd say a little bit more than that is fair. And, and, and shorter so the teams can get at it.
0: We know Baltimore is just injury central. Two more guys go down in Edwards and Peters.
2: Any sense on what happens there with the Lamar deal? Probably this is probably a little more. I, I You're probably looking at the 40. I, may, maybe, maybe. So it all comes down, and this is something that surprised people around the league, that Josh Allen took such a long deal. Because everyone thought when Kirk Cousins took that deal, that it, the first deal, that he had provided this new blueprint. The first three year was all the guaranteed The first three year, all guaranteed. That the blueprint was bet on yourself with the franchise tag. It doesn't matter. I mean, look at Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott was out for the year last year. It didn't matter. He still got his money. So there were people in the league who said, okay, we're going to use the franchise tag to our advantage. We're going to use short contracts to our advantage. As you said, you can just renegotiate every couple of years with the TV deals. Um, That has not turned out to be true at all um and these players are comfortable taking longer team friendly deals um that are and that that's kind of surprised some people around the league um so this comes down to Lamar Jackson and, and what his willingness is to if he wants a 3 year deal or if he wants a 6 year deal if he's it, I, that to me is, is the big question. I think you're probably looking at $40 million from Lamar Jackson. Um, I'm intrigued to see it because the thing is, that k- kind of the the litmus test here is that Eric DaCosta and Andrew Barry, Eric DaCosta is the, the Baltimore GM, um, they're two of the smartest guys in the league. And I kind of like seeing them negotiate quarterback contracts because they're not going to get... Uh, bamboozled. They're not going to go into something without doing their research, and that's why I think it's a good. I think a lot of guys in the league are watching those two things because they want to see how those two guys who are smarter than a hell of a lot of people in the league do it. Um, Lamar, to me, is a fascinating test case. You know, I think that there's there was a whole thing about whether or not the league is caught up to him. Breer had a good column about this a couple weeks ago about how much work he's been putting in. I think that Harbaugh told told Breer that Lamar on certain days is just not leaving the pocket on practice and is just working on throwing, which is interesting because I talked to Mahomes a couple weeks ago and he was saying on tape, he noticed last year, especially in the Super Bowl, how much he was bailing from clean pockets, Mahomes now, and that he's working on just staying in the pocket too. And so I think a lot of these guys are trying to train themselves and know they can always move out of the pocket, but they're also trying to be, and Mahomes literally said this, he's trying to become Tom Brady in the pocket, um, which is not necessarily uh, his game on every drop back. And so I think that that Lamar's next step to me is interesting. The stress he puts on the defense makes it so he only has to get a little bit better at passing and the whole league changes because Lamar, the defense is still real. I mean, I know you know Ben Solak was in our podcast a couple weeks ago talking about how much, you know, the cover three, dropping back, uh, si- sitting back and letting Lamar throw to them, how much that was working against Lamar last year. I understand that. But if he just takes a little step forward, uh, Baltimore is going to be in really good shape.
0: Who's your favorite rookie quarterback? I'm not talking about talent because Lawrence yeah, is the answer. But if you're Lawrence. saying, like, okay, so even uh, all circumstances. Yeah,
2: no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's between, it's between, it really is between Lawrence and Wilson. I, I picked Mac Jones to win rookie of the year because I just think that situation is going to be the best one. He's going to be playing a bunch of big games. He's going to look fine and they're going to be able to run the ball and, and, push for the playoffs and then he'll win rookie of the year I don't think Jacksonville can do that I really like the Lafleur offense in New York but I don't think Zach Wilson's gonna be able to do that I don't think Justin Fields is gonna see the field for for a couple of weeks and Trey Lance I just don't know um I really just don't know uh what 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 his I I think that I think the conspiracy theory around the league Ryan is that that Kyle Shanahan wanted Trey Lance to go out and grab that job and he didn't do it and I think that I I don't know what the timetable is. Um, you listen, Trey Lance looked awesome in the preseason. I think Trey Lance is is going to be like is going to be an elite player at some point. Um, I just don't know from a twenty twenty one standpoint if he's if he's going to be my favorite guy. So I would say, it, I would say Lawrence. All things considered, is going to, if we redraft at the end of this year, it's still going to be Lawrence. It's not going to be a Justin Herbert situation where we redraft in January and we go, uh, actually, the number one guy maybe wasn't the number one guy.
0: San Francisco's a really great question here. And, you know, when I pick the Rams to get out, it's like, okay, but their division versus what what the Buccaneers have to deal with. Like Tampa's going to be at home. If the Rams play Tampa in a playoff game, the likelihood that that game is in Tampa is, is much more so than in Los Angeles. Yes. Just based on the divisions alone. All right. You know, look, who knows we could know, so be surprised what happens here. But San Francisco's IR designations last year, like all-timer. So Crazy. So when I've seen some numbers float around, like, hey, look, like you can argue the Shanahan-Garoppolo thing. I'll tell you right now, if I were on a debate show and I just said, hey, I don't know, just tell me which one you want me to do, I'll crush either side of that argument. <laughs> there's so mu- no, I'm serious. There's so much evidence yeah. that shows it's actually all Garoppolo. And then there's yeah. plenty that you go, okay. Wait a minute. If it's all Garoppolo, why does the head coach clearly not like him enough? I, I don't think there's any mystery with that. I don't think Shanahan has much of a poker face when it comes to this stuff. And the fact they go ahead and and do what they do to go bring in Trey Lance, like to me, that's like, hey guys, this isn't some big secret. Like the limitations of Garoppolo are very obvious. I've seen them. Other people disagree, but yet here we have a coach who's like, no, I'm going to go ahead and take Trey Lance in this spot, but. Garoppolo could have one of those moments where they put together some wins. You know, the defense is solid again. This this team, when it was healthy, was one of my favorite teams. I mean, Fred Warner is yeah. probably one of my single favorite players to watch yes. in the league. Uh, their linebacker who's unbelievable. Like, just focus on him for 30 minutes, man, and and you will go, okay, I'm glad I spent that time watching Fred Warner. So San Francisco could find a way to... I don't know. I think just to say them being competitive is an insult. I think there's a version of this where people start, but then they'll talk themselves back into Garoppolo if they're winning games, because that's what happens with QBs, even if you think, hey, I'm third and eight. on 3rd and 8 i do not think his own staff trusts him.
2: I'm, I'm intrigued by the Garoppolo progression. You know, PFF did a study a couple of weeks ago that I found fascinating. So the biggest jump, as we know, is from year one to year two. And then from year two to year four for a quarterback, it's a, they about stay the same. And then they, there's actually a second jump From year seven to eight, which is, by the way, what Garoppolo is right now. And I wonder sometimes if you keep the physical ability and hopefully after all the injuries, Garoppolo still has that um, the game still slowing down for you because you're, you're, you're smarter. And I always kind of thought that the early 30s was the second peak of a of a quarterback because they're smart and they're getting smarter and they still have the physical tools and you know after kind of age 34 35 it becomes a crapshoot of whether or not whether or not your body is gonna betray you or not um but I think Garoppolo could take a really nice step forward you know we heard all of those reports at the beginning of training camp you know what Garoppolo is playing lights out it might not matter because trey Lance is playing even better in practice and then as Trey Lance had sort of um and again I really like Trey Lance but as he uh kind of I, I want to say hit a training camp wall but you know he wasn't the phenom that he was in the first couple of weeks of practice um I think that Garoppolo still looked really good so I'm completely with you uh I think that the, the 49ers could be really damn good I think Kyle Shanahan is is the second best offensive mind in football which puts him in the mix for second best offensive mind in the history of football um because that's just kind of where the game is right now um you're probably you know, rich probably looking Co- at it- rich
0: coat tight one
2: which co tight one. No, I mean like you think about obviously like okay, Bill Walsh, Andy Reid. I mean I'm saying like when this is all said and done, we're going to be looking at Kyle Shanahan as a top 10 offensive mind. In 20 years when we look back on this, we're going to talk about Kyle Shanahan with Andy Reid. Not right now. But we will.
0: Okay, um I got to I got to hit you on Tennessee here a little bit. Bigger concern for you, Arthur Smith down in Atlanta now or a defense last year that was pretty bad I, you know by any account there that was a team that had they had julio so it's kind of back to your chiefs thing like hey look let's just find a way to outscore everybody because personnel wise on defense I, you know I, I don't know if they're going to figure out a way to coach this group up to now be average um but i also think the smith removal from this now and they've had some turnover on that side of the coaching staff now consecutive years uh, i think it's
2: a concern it's a huge concern it's it's like a top five concern for me if you're ranking concerns around the league so arthur smith was amazing and that's one of the reasons yeah. i picked i picked the falcons to get the the nfc seventh seed is because i just think that he's going to be able to improve that team year over year pretty quickly uh todd downing is the new offensive coordinator he called the plays for the 2017 raiders that team was bad um and he was fired after one year and I, I certainly believe in career improvement, and, and the fact that he's been in the system, and he was tight ends coach for them for for two years. I understand that, um, but there's going to be a dip, and and you, I think you have to understand, you know, Ry- the development of Ryan Tannehill is one of the best success stories of the past 15 years of football, at the quarterback position. Defined Ryan Tannehill mid career came in as a backup. You know, I talked to Mike Vrabel about this a couple of weeks ago, and John Robinson as well, and he was ta- they were talking about how one of the things that impressed Ryan Tannehill is about impressed them about Ryan Tannehill was that he was not trying to win the job when he got there. He understood his role and then he grew with it. And he just kind of did kind of what we're talking about, the see the ball, hit the ball thing. And that that he just executed every step of the way. And now the next step is being able to do it without Arthur Smith. And I don't think that you can just plug in Ryan Tannehill's elite number. He was playing like a top five quarterback for large stretches in the last two years. They made the AFC title game two years ago. I don't I do think that you 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 can't you cannot separate those two things. So I'm expecting a dip. I'm expecting them to win that division because that division is awful. And the Colts, as much as I say it's we can sit here and say it's not a big deal, it's a big deal that the Colts have that many unvaccinated players and that there will be guys who are going to miss time. That's really important. And so I'm picking them to win the division but I'm not picking them to be a serious contender this year no and the defense is bad and the defense is not gonna be able to bail them out but this is a quarterback driven
0: decision all right you got Packers Chiefs I got Rams Chiefs and that means the Chiefs are probably not going to come out of the AFC uh, you know that's, that's the correct. Chiefs the Chiefs are going to be like my Spurs the thing there or I picked the Spurs to just win I think I, I picked them like eight or nine years in a row I was like just give me the Spurs to win the whole thing and you ended up being right almost every other year there for a little while but you know, I, I don't know. We'll see what happens here with the top of the AFC because as you're going through those rosters and granted Baltimore with some of these injuries steps back, but there's there's some really good teams behind them whereas yes. in the NFC, you're right. It's like, okay, is Tampa really going to be this healthy again? But their schedule plays out as I mentioned at the top. It's the second easiest if you go to bet. MGM. I, I,
2: I don't want to wade into controversial waters here, but do, do you do you look at this vaccination stuff as, as an important part of breaking the season? Because I just well, think that there are teams right now where I'm just like, I, man, I, I don't know.
0: I mean, yes, is the simple answer that it's a yeah. big deal, but I, I'd have to see a couple of weeks and see how this is executed as far as you know what kind of penalties we'd have or what kind of like protocol. Like we've had some stuff in baseball happen in the last couple of weeks. you're like, "Wait a minute. Yeah. How are you handling this? Like, what's going on?" Like there was a weird story about the Red Sox where one of the players yeah. was saying that they said, "Hey, stop testing." And you're like, what? Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah I, th- I think the vaccination part of this is, is a pretty big deal. And I know that it's, it's a, you know, it's a dicey conversation for a lot of people. And for the record, yes, I'm vaccinated as soon as I possibly could. And I didn't skip the line because I have a successful podcast and I didn't post (laughs) that content because I didn't, that was a great stretch. It's like, Hey, did you get vaccinated Yeah, You haven't posted it IG yet. Fuck are you doing? That's home run content. Like, is it? Hey, here you go. Shot number one down. Cause the best part was there was that little window when people were sharing that they got vaccinated and then it was like, Oh, really? You, 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 how did you get it so soon? And then it morphed into how come you haven't posted it yet. I don't know exactly what that break date was, um, but we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Okay. I know everybody's been waiting for this. We've brought it back. It didn't go anywhere. It's time to go abroad.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing.
2: Continued economic responsibility demands restraint in government expenditure and last year we achieved the largest ever recorded reduction in the budget deficit, 1.5 billion. Okay, F1 silly season is that what they call it, Kevin? Right now, that is what they call it. George I love that. Russell to Mercedes, Botas to Alpha Romeo. Alpha uh, Alex- Alexander Albon is back. He's back. People have been wondering where he was for a year. He was doing weird Red Bull test drives. He's back in a Williams. Okay, silly this is season a lot. is upon us, baby.
0: I love silly season. That means uh, drivers are moving on. All right, so here are the standings right now. Max has 7 wins, Lewis 4 wins, yeah. did win 3 of the first four to start the season. Uh Verstappen is 3 points ahead of Hamilton, but it has been a max run. He's won back-to-back. back-to-back. Belgium I don't I don't know what that was. They ran two laps and then Russell got a on it. half points, that's right, half yeah. points. Netherlands though, it's just Okay, let me ask you this: Is the more seasoned of the two F one guys? Does Hamilton bitch about tires the entire race, every race he's in, all the time? Because he's constantly on the comms, being like, uh, I don't think these tires are going to hold up." But like, "Oh, why did we do that?" I think you're hearing the Hamilton frustration, knowing that either Max is better equipped with the car or Max has just caught him at at, at skill level at this point.
2: So, first of all, that's that's a big question. Um, Lewis Huge. does tend to complain in the radio, but so does everybody. That's just a common... These guys are so in tune with the car that they understand when anything is going wrong. And that's a Max thing. That's a Hamilton thing. That's probably an Alexander Albon thing. That's fine. Um, I think you're going to see a couple of changes in the next couple of weeks. Monza in Italy, where they go to next, fastest track in Formula One. That leads to, tends to lead to a Mercedes domination. I think they won every race there for five years, from 2014 to 2018. They have the best top-end speed car on the grid, and so they should win. And then they go to Sochi, where Mercedes has won every single time since that race came back. Um, I think that was in 2014. Wow. So it's a so three-point gap right now. It's a three-point gap right now. And the thing is that the 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 big meme going around right now is that if Max steals one of these, if he steals one of these rogue games, so to speak, then we're in real dangerous territory for Merck. But if they hold serve, we're going to have a very tight title race. Um, and so I think these two races will tell a story. If Merck still got it, Hamilton will go 1-1 here.
0: How many different names do we have for the Mercedes team? We've got Mercedes. Silver Arrows. I love the Silver Arrows. When Crofty says, oh, the Silver Arrows, um, and then Mer... I don't know. I don't know, like... Okay, but staying on Team Mercedes here, all good stuff there. Valtteri bought us now with Alpha. Yeah. His last race, the Netherlands race that Max won, him complaining about <laughs> the fastest lap pitting at the end was incredible. Can you imagine an NFL quarterback who knows he's being replaced by a guy who isn't even on the team yeah and that he's not going to be with like say there's somebody out there slinging it for the Bears you know it could actually be yeah. Andy Dalton although yeah. Dalton's not exactly at Botas's level of success but just imagine if we had full access to the quarterback complaining about play calling the entire time on top of that knowing he's not like the team decided to not retain him because they went with George Russell which has been rumored yeah. for a while Botus was was on year-to-year deals. He was pissed about it. He said he would have gone back to Mercedes if they'd give him two years. But the the frustration that we all saw on the Netflix doc were basically, you're in this great car, but your your goal is to always set up for Hamilton to win. And then they have Otis pit for fastest lap. And then they go, nah, let's just whatever. Hamilton's not catching Verstappen, which was kind of a crazy risk because he was only three seconds behind. If Max were just to take a bad turn or, or lock up or something, he'd be pissing away a win. But they still had enough time to get back to podium. But then they they yeah. pit Lewis. were like, no, you try for fastest lap. And bonus is like, why did we just stop? <laughs> why did we just stop then? And they're like, oh, yep, sorry, Valtteri. Just keep pushing, pushing. Why did we just stop? And it was just, it, you could just tell. And granted, he's finished, so there wasn't going to be a ton of emotion coming <laughs> out of it. Um, one of my best friends from Finland, yeah. I think I can say that. He yeah. He just, it's just. I don't know. You'd have to know the backstories as well as anybody that watched the Netflix part yeah. of it, but, but to hear him just be like, okay, so you just had me fucking pit for fastest lap. And then you decided to pit Lewis a lap after I did. Why did we just do that? And they had no answer because he was actually right. And he knew he was done with the team anyway.
2: I officially feel bad for Valtteri. <laughs> so I was thinking about this last night. I was going for a little walk around Brooklyn. And, uh, Botas.
0: <laughs> Wait, you're walking Botas. around Brooklyn just, just keeping your just F1 thinking thoughts about it, to yourself? Just
2: thinking about it. Yeah, just thinking about it. Um, there are some Jimmy Garoppolo vibes with Botas. And what there's there's a couple of reasons I say this. The first part of it, obviously, is he's being replaced by the shiny new thing. I get it. But then He's kind of become this joke because he was put in such a good situation, the Mercedes being the most dominant car in history. They've won every single Constructors Championship, obviously, since he was in there, and Lewis Hamilton led the way on that. But I think that people forget why he was put in that car to begin with. He was at Williams when they were a mid-pack car. He was getting podiums uh, on occasion. He was uh, out dueling his teammate, Felipe Massa. He's a good driver who became a joke because he was in a really good situation and didn't win a driver's championship. And then on top of that, he was very honest about how much he hated the situation. He was very honest, as we've talked about, Ryan, about how much Instagram comments could get under his skin. And so I kind of feel, I, I almost feel like he's become a bit underrated in that just as a pure driver because he's become a little bit of a punchline. I feel bad for him. I, I feel as bad. For him, as I could anybody who makes you know tens of millions of dollars and has a great farm, a modern farmhouse in Finland that, that we all saw on a spa. He's got a spa on his house. Um, but I really do think that uh he's gonna become a footnote in history. And I I do I do feel bad for him. George Russell's gonna come in and be a completely different role. First of all, George Russell was in the Mercedes last year because of a COVID positive um from 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 Lewis and almost won the race, should have won the race. And He's the future. This is future planning now for Mercedes. Valtteri was never future planning. He was just going to be the backup. He was just going to be the number two. He was just going to be the caretaker and just try to win some construction championships and help out Lewis. And if he was, you know, he had to give up his, his spot leading because they needed Lewis to pass, that kind of stuff. With Russell, it's going to be a true duel. Botas is, it was, is, not a good, is not as quick as Russell, as they like to say. But Russell is going to get opportunities Botas never got. And I understand why he would feel screwed by that. Now he's off to Alpha. He'll have a nice career. He'll get some, some sneaky podiums we weren't expecting on some chaotic race. But I feel bad about his career.
0: Give me a very disturbing NBA F1 comp that you got as you come off of your Botas Garoppolo comp.
2: <laughs> so I got a DM. And because it was a, a private DM, it's just from a listener, don't know the guy. Because it's a DM, I'm going to keep the name out of it because I don't know if the guy wants his name out there. Why? Because especially he likes with, F1? Especially, yes. especially no, no. I mean, this, cause, his cause marriage this, this could an be destroyed. This is an explosive comp. So someone sent me a DM that I then sent to you and Sarudi. One line, no explanation, no, no further, no further inspection. Is Daniel Ricardo the Dwight Howard of F1? Oh, I hated that. You hated it? Okay, so. I can't I stop thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about it. Because so let's, let's just break this down. Ricardo was a top, top guy. Won Monaco. Came out of the gates. Just awesome. In the Red Bull many years ago. And at some point he transitioned into a personality. He's having a wonderful life. He's made a lot of money. He was the star of the first scenes of the Netflix series.
0: Star all uh, three.
2: Star Star of all three. Um, you didn't like the naked botas in the last one that didn't i respect it, your hair because i just yeah. look
0: again my relationship with the Finns have been strong over the years and so that made a lot because <laughs> my buddy from finland built a spa yeah. in his modest town home i'm like wait you customized and put a spa down here and he was like yeah he's like what what do you mean i think you used to smoke cigarettes in the spa but again i've argued this if you're from finland cigarettes are good for you
2: <laughs> So. Ricardo and Dwight at some point became more personalities than competitors. And now Ricardo is on his third team. Um, right. Red Bull,
0: Renault, and now McC- McLaren.
2: Yep. And he is just sort of hanging out. And he's uh getting out by Lando Norris. He's a bit of a role player now, which I don't think anybody saw coming. And uh yeah, there it is. When you saw this, you thought, what, Ryan? I I didn't like it because it made me think.
0: Because, I mean, Dwight <laughs> Howard's one of my... He will be one of my least favorite players of this generation. Um, if that needs to be explained, I don't know what I've been doing here over the years. And the fact that Ricardo, <laughs> who... Yeah, I mean, you know, we're ninth in points right now. I just got my McLaren gift box upstairs. Like, I was like, where... Because I may go to the the race in Austin... I was invited to go, and I, I think I have to go. It's just a matter of how the football thing breaks down. Yeah, with all that, and yeah, I want Ricardo to be better. But I, you know, it's funny because when I first started learning about any of this stuff, which is not very long ago, which is sort of the joke, of this whole thing. The first time I would learn about Christian Horner, I'm like, "All right, dude, we got it." Like, you've got an English farm. You're married to a Spice Girl. Like, you're so full of yourself at every single turn. <laughs> And then he starts shitting on Ricardo being like, oh, I feel like he's running, he's running from a race, running from a challenge. Run, run, what the running hell, from even a
2: fight. Know? Running from a fight.
0: Running from a fight. I don't even know what accent I was doing there. I apologize to everyone internationally. <laughs> so I kind of yeah. wanted him to be wrong. And Horner's been right. And by the way, Horner's a yeah. stud. The Horner's a stud. The entire Red Bull team, everything they're doing, like any, any ego versus ego thing that I had with, with Horner, yeah. I, I'm like, nah, man, this guy's incredible. And look at what they're doing. And, you know, there's other days where, you know, the other Red Bull looks like it's it's going to get it done. So um, I wish Ricardo were in the mix a little bit more. As of this right now, he apparently is sitting on pole with a few minutes to go. So this is real live reaction. We're giving you live in the moment F1 reaction. If we get research to double check that right now, I believe um, he's sitting on the pole here for the Italian. It's, Grand it's FP1.
2: It's FP1. A lot of ball game left. But, they, okay. hey, Dwight, Dwight won a ring, you know. There, real quick enough. Though, okay here, here. bringing in saruti sorry here we go no, no no i
3: just i just everything you laid out kev is right the timeline makes a ton of sense my problem is isn't ricardo has fans right like people like him people follow him saruti is, <laughs> Sarutti, there, is Sarutti, there one Dwight Howard, you, Howard
2: fan you and me buddy uh,
3: i'm not a Dwight Howard fan what okay Dwight you Howard would claim Dwight Howard you 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 like or I want to associate with Dwight he Howard. He was my the guy. best
2: player on the only good thing that's ever happened no, to us he, on a basketball court. No,
3: he burned too many bridges on the way out. Are I mean, you I, ju- I, No, I can't overlook that. I'm sorry. What do you
2: just what do you just remember Rafer Alston fondly that year? I
3: actually probably remember Rayfer Alston more fondly than I do Dwight Howard. Yes, I love Rayfer Alston. Jameer Nelson, JJ Redick, obviously Hedo, all those dudes. I don't I don't claim Dwight Howard anymore. And I don't think that many people I'm stunned that you do, to be honest with you. I didn't think he had one fan. I
2: time heals all wounds. I would say there's a lot of warts in that 09 team. Um, if you look into it. I don't recommend it. And uh, I I remembered the Dwight Howard era fondly.
3: I had a good time during the era, but I just again i had a good time with an ex-girlfriend it doesn't mean that i like still Ooh. want to hang out and associate with an ex-girlfriend i got it's over she d- you're dead to me i'm sorry that's how it is i'm italian what could i say i I, I, Rus- I i'm just stunned who around here is being like yeah i'm a huge dwight hour fan he's my guy rusillo and i feel like
2: ricardo has fans rusillo moved very quickly to the microphone when you made the ex-girlfriend comment
3: i left oh, it alone no. yeah <laughs> we're, we're good just leave it alone but uh no I, I, again Ricardo has fans, right? He has at least people who yeah. follow him. And even if he's not that great anymore, he still has fans. I don't think Dwight Howard has what a dozen fans. All
0: right. I got to jump in because it's not going Orlando. <laughs> it's going abroad here. And, and you two guys, you know, All well, right. Orlando,
3: so, Epcot, International City. Come on. Yeah, yeah, fair, yeah.
2: Fair, fair point. Nor- Norwegian fair point. Pavilion.
3: <laughs>
0: okay. So as it stands right now. Yeah, we'll see. We'll gear up for the Italian Grand Prix. Any picks?
2: Any pics from anybody? Uh, Lewis Hamilton.
0: Oh, back, back,
2: top of the podium. Monza, it's Monza. Come on, this is an aerodynamic village pavilion. This is an aerodynamic pavilion. This is speed pavilion. This is Monza. This is Mercedes Silver Arrows, baby.
0: Okay, all right, that's all fair. That's all fair. All right. Uh, before we leave you, and check your passport here. Not a vaccination (laughs) passport. Not trying to get political. I've got Um, got one of those. (laughs) Soccer the other night. Uh, I'm convinced soccer never ends. It's on all the time, constantly. And the soccer community, and look, I like soccer, all right? I'm converted. I'm just not going to spend a ton of time on it. My priorities are elsewhere. The bills are paid elsewhere, despite our very um, all-inclusive segment that we do here. So I'm texting Saruti going, you know what? What channel is it on? I'm in. That took about 15 minutes. It was like trying to find a wild card game on true TV. I'm like, am I on true TV? What's going on? And then it was Paramount Plus, which I don't have apparently. Yeah. And then I decided, okay, wait. And then I just asked Twitter and they were like, if it's DirecTV, it's Telemundo. So then I throw it on and I got to admit for about a minute, I didn't know who's, which team was, which you can say what you want. Um, and you're like, oh, okay. And it made sense because I didn't like Honduras goalie. You know, he gets super mad about them not getting somebody atop the box. It was a wide open shot. It was it was bad defensive alignment by the Honduras side. But he gets super pissed at everybody, which is kind of what goalies do. Yeah. And then he tried to clear it five minutes later, and it was like he topped a drive out of the tee box, and it almost led to a goal. And then the U.S. just pours it on. So you guys go. I'm, I obviously was, I couldn't figure out which channel it was on. And for a minute, I thought the teams were different. So I'm not exactly your guy. I'm not super locked in on the international stuff. We've always known this about me.
2: I'm more of a UEFA guy. Saruti, so thoughts on Greg? Uh,
3: not great. Not great. I think when your first half was arguably, I mean, we were at DEFCON one in the, in the first 45 minutes of that game to, to use the Booger McFarlane. Is that worse than five? I think one is the, (laughs) one's the highest, right? One's like the the nuclear warhead is coming at you. I think, I think that's DEFCON one.
0: We were there has to explain it every year. Go ahead. We
3: were there and it was awful that that was one of the worst 45 minutes of, of, I've ever seen of a U.S. soccer team. And, to his credit, he did fix it in the second half. I mean, he switched formations. He made three substitutions, there which was 100% necessary. Uh, but I, listen, I think they're going to qualify for the World Cup. I think I think they'll be a, they'll be fine. But I don't know if I'm ever going to be confident that they're going to make any splashes in any international competition if he's yeah. their manager, that makes sense.
2: I, I'm right there with you. And we're, we have a golden generation. And I think it's not you, you got to do it's not. It, it is a golden generation of talent. And I think that you have to get you you, you got to get a manager who can who knows what to do international management is is a different animal mm-hmm. and i don't i don't think we have a guy right now who knows who knows where to place those chess pieces
3: uh I just want to give Ryan credit. There were some people on Twitter giving you credit for the US's comeback because as soon as you started watching all of a sudden things started happening, you know, you turn on Telemundo and boom, we score three goals and win the game after what was arguably the worst uh, first half I've ever seen. So I just want to give Ryan credit here because people on Twitter were saying that you were the difference in that second half.
0: Ryan, yeah, do you want to go to Qatar? Yeah, 66 minute. Got in there. So if they had lost
3: that one, that's it. No, no, no. So that, here's the thing too: is we are so early on. This is this was the third game of 14 games. Like, there's
0: there's plenty of games to go,
3: obviously. But okay, yes, yes. But you know, if they had didn't win that game, if they had lost Honduras one nil, they would only have two points. They'd be way behind Mexico. They'd be behind Honduras. They'd be behind Canada, which all of a sudden Canada's yeah. a good soccer nation, which is insane now. Um, and they just would have been behind the eight ball. And it was just it was how it looked, Ryan. It just it looked awful. And you know they're going to have to still play Mexico twice. They've got to play uh, Costa Rica twice. You know, going to those South American countries um, or to those Central American countries, Ryan, is it's an insane. Like I was telling you, the fields are atrocious, the broadcasts are atrocious, the fans. There's like vuvuzelas and there's constantly horns. They in the throw background. shit all
0: the time. There's yes. uh, yeah, exactly.
3: It's people think it's so much easier to win in El Salvador or in Honduras than it actually is in reality. You got to understand these guys are used to playing in Munich or Rome or London in these awesome, lavish stadiums. And then they go to playing in Honduras, El Salvador. Like it's just a totally different vibe. And there's nothing that can, can prepare like a 21, 22, 23 year old guy who's never been there for that. So I'll just say it's much harder than people think. But we we should be okay now.
2: The grossest thing about playing in some of those countries, like the, there's a famous story. about like the air quality is really bad, and so some of our athletes can't take that sometimes. So like Azteca, famously, uh, I think it was Eric the altitude Ronaldo. too. Yeah, he coughed up black blood yeah it'd amazing,
0: be like so. a, it'd be like well whatever i'm just you know it's like denver but la downtown la traffic type right. of deal um I, right. I gotta tell you though i'm gonna push back a little bit u.s fans want the the coach fired every no matter who it is that's like the most consistent yeah. it's like you guys are the auburn of international soccer <laughs> it's Every well, time there's something, I constantly hear about how this coach just doesn't understand the roster. He's outdated or his formations or this, or we have this new wave. or the It's constant. Being at ESPN all those years when I kind of didn't like soccer because of the guys that loved it so much, I've never heard anybody ever say they were happy with who was in charge of U.S. soccer, the men's national team.
3: I could honestly say I think they're right. I mean, pr- the problem with... Oh, my with God, so no one's ever good? The problem with Berhalter, though, is that his brother is in a high, I, I don't know what the title of position is, but he's high up in U.S. soccer. So everyone's like, "We well, only got the job because of his brother. And, you know, yeah, we won a couple of trophies this summer, but those are not super meaningful. Like, the, what would be meaningful is playing good in the World Cup qualifiers and doing well in the World Cup. And I don't think we're, I, I don't know. I, who do you think the last good manager was, uh, uh, Kev? I don't even,
2: was it? Uh, I think, so Bruce Arena got a lot of heat in 2006. But I think that he knew what the program was, I would say. Right? Clinsman yeah. definitely, definitely wasn't. And Arena came back, obviously. It didn't work. But I'm saying for that, that whole I think we 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 now underappreciate, maybe because we were it, the year it was in Korea and Japan, it was just such a weird of time zones. We don't appreciate how good that core was. And mm-hmm. we wanted to push them aside because we thought we could do better. Very Auburny, very Auburny, Brian Rasilla. Um, we we didn't appreciate what we had. And and I think that that core and that coaching staff and that backroom in the early 2000s was actually pretty good.
0: I'll give you the Bruce Arena timeline from an observer. This guy sucks. Get him out. Klinsman gets it. <laughs> wait. Bring back Arena. He's learned. Part four, he sucks again. <laughs> yeah. Okay? So yep. that's 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 my, my casual yep. observation of what that is. All right. Yep. This was Going yep. Abroad brought to you by... I was in Switzerland trying to broker some stuff, but since Madoff, apparently, a lot of the asset management companies, things, the restrictions have been tighter. Um, and some of these are real companies too, folks. So remember that next time we're regulating Swiss banking. This episode is brought to you by Buy. It's Wonder Water. So I was wondering what made Buy so great, and it's actually pretty simple. Buy has antioxidants, electrolytes, and no artificial sweeteners, and the flavors are delicious for me. It has to be by Zambia Bing Cherry. So for flavorful hydration, choose by. It's Wonder Water. Learn more about by and discover all of the exotic, bold flavors at drinkby.com. We're going to do something new here during the NFL season before the NBA starts because there's usually always an NBA headline or news topic or maybe some information uh, that I want to share with you guys. So it's our first installment of NBA Facts. The reason we clearly use facts is because if you're arguing with somebody on social media, you just say facts and then you win the argument. Everybody knows that. OK, Ben Simmons, what do we got um, this week? We saw a piece I think it was out yesterday. Brian Windhorst, ESPN.com. Ramona also with Bobby Marks helping out on this piece. with Some of the information. Um, where are we at? I, I want to talk about it a little bit more because I, I don't know that all of these angles have been explored. So the holdout thing. First popped up probably about a month or so ago. I think it was kind of a passive like, hey, you know, Ben Simmons may hold out from uh, his club representatives to the Sixers. Uh, I feel like from what I've heard, the Sixers kind of met it with a bit more of a dismissive tone. Like, oh, OK, you want to do that? But a lot of this is all posturing, just like the public pricing on what a Ben Simmons trade would be. So when I was talking with another team about this, they were like, you know, the thing you always worry about is a player going, OK, well. I'm going to hold out, but instead of getting fined or losing all my money, which is what would happen under the CBA, the holdout numbers, there's a couple different ways this could be done if Philly wanted to do him a favor, which you know I don't know how much animosity there's going to be if this actually goes down and Simmons doesn't report, but Simmons could be fined $227,000 for every practicing game he misses. But if you're hurt, you get to keep all that money. And there was another player who I'm not going to name, a big name, traded in the last few years, who wanted out and the team was like, we don't want to trade you. And he said, okay, fine. I'm going to get something scoped. And then what are you going to do? And the team knew it. So guess what? The team ended up trading that player. So I don't know if Simmons would go that route or is like, you know what? Something hurts. You know, I'm not feeling great. I know that with Harden, when he kind of was like, you know, he came back, but he was late, but his thing was weird because he actually saved himself on the fines by breaking the COVID protocol. Remember when they saw him parties with, with his mask off? Future. And that part of it, you know, is, is very, very unique. So now that we have the stare down with Simmons and Clutch and the Sixers, you have to go, okay, so what kind of personality is Simmons? Is he the kind of guy that will actually be able to do this follow through, hold out, and deal with this stuff? All right? Now, Jimmy Butler you didn't have to worry about it. Jimmy Butler was going to go nuclear option and he was going to do it and he was going to make it feel real and the entire time. Uh, remember he, when he didn't get the deal he wanted from Minnesota, sat out some of the preseason ramp up stuff in camp because of a knee deal. Right. Then he shows up to the first practice, which I said, all of this at the time, it was like magically Rachel Nichols and the jumper there, which again is not Rachel or the jumps fault. This is content. Let's sit down with Jimmy Butler. This is a big time news story. Good on them for getting that interview. But the idea that people couldn't figure out how predetermined this entire deal was, where Butler's like, I'm going to go off. I'm going to scream at Scott Layden. I'm going to make fun of the younger players. I'm going to be the biggest asshole I can be in this practice. And then I'm going to sit down and tell ESPN how bad I want out. All of it was calculated and it worked. And he got moved, ironically, to Philadelphia. So you can do that one, but I think there's people around the league who are like, would Simmons ever like take it to that level? But here's the point. He doesn't need to because he has clutch. Because Anthony Davis, I think we would all agree, as much as I love him as a player, is more of a passive personality. All right, And what he did in New Orleans... Wasn't great, but he got his way because he got his way because Clutch got their way. So then it comes down to do you want to mess with Clutch? And we can all sit here and talk about how front offices and agents. I've brought it up in the past off seasons where you're like, yeah, that deal doesn't make a ton of sense, but a lot of times the teams want to find a way to work with the agent to make sure that relationship is good down the road. Uh, at this point, clutch doesn't really need to because you could sit there and say, well, does, does Daryl need or do the Sixers need a good relationship with Clutch more so than the other way around? Yeah, because if you have good players, like you would never sit there as a GM going, well, one of their really good players is available and he wants to come here, but man, I'm really mad at how they handled their business two years ago, so I'm not going to sign the good player that has interest in us as a team. That's an area that scenario doesn't exist. It's not going to happen. If he's a really good player, maybe a marginal one, fine. There would be some sort of payback, but if it's a really good player, you could actually couldn't do that to your own franchise. So even if you think Simmons isn't built that way to deal with how nasty this could possibly get, his reps, his agency, they take the lead on this and shield him from it. I don't know if he's actually not going to show up. I'm just mapping out all those things. Now, as far as the trade stuff, the public pricing that I mentioned before, it's a little bit like listing a house and going, eh, I'll throw a number on and see what happens. Uh, that's what all these teams are doing. So when I hear about the Minnesota thing that I read where it was like, no, D'Angelo Russell or Edwards are talented. <laughs> like, are like, you, you guys going to trade anybody? For, for Ben Simmons, like you may not like Ben Simmons, but you might have to throw in somebody in this deal, and we've since seen that Russell would actually be available. Uh, the Sixers also have a challenge here because they have a team that they think can still contend and get out of the East, so it's not like it's all draft picks coming back or all projects. You need a player that actually can be one of the five guys on the floor at the end of a playoff game. So that's a harder trade to pull off because more often than not, the NBA rules and these trades tell us we keep our good guys and we give you a bunch of other things. And now the pricing has completely changed from where it was Kawhi, who had some injury stuff, but the pricing with Kawhi compared to what the pricing is now with the Drew Holiday, the market has shifted dramatically for how how these trades play out. And I think GMs like saying, hey, I have potentially four to seven first-round draft picks, and everybody says how awesome that is. And some teams are going to win with this strategy, and there's some teams you're going to be looking five years down the road going, what do they do, get a bunch of picks in the 20s and none of the swaps actually happen? So what did you actually get for that guy? But that seems to be the cool way to do these deals. I don't think the Sixers, look, they'll want draft picks, but it can't only be draft picks unless it becomes untenable. So when you look at the Golden State part of this, and I do think that that price at least was close, even if it was ridiculous, where it was Wiggins, Wiseman, and whatever you think of Wiggins, I still think he'd be one of the five guys that would close a playoff game. Um, Wiggins, Wiseman, I don't know if it's also Kaminga, Moody, and two more picks, or if it's one of those two guys and three more picks. That price is a lot, but it's also a lot if you're Golden State because you're saying, wait, why are we supposed to fix your fucking problem, right? Like, Ben Simmons is your problem. We like him. You want to trade him? We're interested. We're going to gut every single one of our assets around our vets and then do you this favor and give you potentially seven pieces. Nah, no, we're not going to do that. Now, I know that the part of the motivation is that clutch actually does want Ben Simmons to go to Golden State. Now, is it the number one choice? No, I think Simmons would love to be in L.A. Lakers, maybe down the road. Clippers don't think there's a ton of interest there, but they would like him to land in Golden State. I don't think Golden State is in a position where they feel like they have to do anything because if everybody comes back, peak, healthy, that's still a really good team. I think probably a top four team in the West, some would disagree. So that's kind of where we have it right now. Philly, I think even if Simmons were to hold out or do a medical thing here to avoid losing all that money, which you always have to remind yourself of, they're probably good enough with the five guys with Embiid, Harris, and another year with this backcourt playing together where they're probably going to win a bunch of games. You know, Maxi another year in, they probably will. It's not like it's going to be a disaster. And as I keep reminding everyone, we can't talk about Simmons the same way we talk about other disgruntled players because it's four years left on a deal. It's four years, and he's telling teams where he will or won't go. This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft, it's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore, yoga class, that just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to and of course the core short out now get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet our listeners get 20 percent off their first purchase at viori.com slash ryan r-y-e-n that's v-u-o-r-i.com slash ryan
1: you want details Bye. i drive a ferrari 355 cabriolet what's up i have a ridiculous house in the south fork i have every toy you can possibly imagine And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required.
0: Let's finish up with life advice here on a Friday. Okay, we mentioned Chauncey Billups crushing a guy in an ESPN pickup game. Um, We had a guy with picture verification. This looks like a pretty intense run here. So I'm just going to share the story. I was a regular at the San Francisco Equinox pickup game. That Equinox was connected to the four seasons where the Warriors visited as teams would stay and hold practice during the finals when your Chauncey was doing TV and came to play pickup. I'm a former varsity player from L.A. Is that high school? I guess if you're a pretty big-time high school player in L.A., you're, you're probably a decent player. In good shape, 31-year-old. Uh, okay, we don't care about your mile. Um, he said he can grab the rim. You do? Okay, there you go. Uh, Six-minute mile, Six one two hundred Could still grab the rim. Awesome. Definitely one of the best players in this competitive San Francisco run. We all went at Chauncey. He destroyed everyone who went at him. No shit. And he seemed to be expending 60% effort. I snuck around to try to steal the ball as he brought it up the court. All right, that kind of, now I'm, now I don't know how much I like this email. Um, his back was turned, but he sensed me and stuck his ass out and I went flying. Another good player face guarded him, which culminated in a corner trap for game point. Chauncey picked up his dribble, faded from the corner and switched to three. He then announces, don't worry, bro. You weren't the first and you won't be the last. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it took you this to say I no longer watch NBA games thinking I could definitely take duds one on one. They tried this in Boston with Scalabrini. All these guys showed up for this radio thing and Scalabrini horrified and embarrassed guys that like played maybe high school and small level college. And the other deal with Scal is he's, he's big. Um, the same day, apparently at this run, Kenyon Martin yelled profanities at me because I called an absolute hack on my defender for game point. Kenyon was not even in the game, had no connection to this guy, but was so offended by my foul call. He couldn't help but belittle me. He came on the next game and threw down alley-oops off the backboard. 2016. Um, Oh, you walked past Katie. All right, never mind. Okay. All right. Good, not great email. But great picture. Chauncey in the mix. How do we feel about that? Was I was I too harsh? I think they're trying to steal it from an NBA guy from behind in a pickup game to like prove something. I don't I don't necessarily love that. And I like that Chauncey stuck his ass out and knocked you over. But I do, I do appreciate that. I don't want to sound real harsh here. It's Friday, man. You know what I'm saying? All right, so no follow-up. Let's keep it moving. All right. Um This one's kind of tough. I I don't know. Maybe Kyle, you can help me out with this one. Okay, uh, 62180. Need some help how to make friends in college. Uh, I just transferred to a big, big 10 school from a small community college. Um, Most of the work was done online. The community college, most people wanted to put their heads down, grind, focusing a little on making friends and socializing. I definitely was more on the side of putting the work in versus socializing so I could set myself up grade-wise as a transfer, which uh, thankfully worked out. Add the online part of it. I really had almost zero practice socializing and making friends in the last two years. One more problem. I haven't done any partying in my life. What I mean by this is I haven't had a sip of alcohol, smoked, or participated in any parties. He says, parentheses, lame, I know, but it just always scared me. Plus, I have no natural desire to try anything. It's not lame. It's not lame, man. You know what I mean? It's actually very hard. Um... And, you know, this this is not going to be easy because, I mean, the simplest thing is you say, hey, just going to go out and, you know, you get a couple of beers and then the shyness goes away and then, you know, you make memories and have these all kind of stories. But don't feel like don't feel that way. You know, I, I hate that you said lame. I know don't don't feel lame about it. You know what I mean? I mean, living longer than everybody else. I know a lot of socializing happens at parties and I have no experience there either. I'm not necessarily against the idea of expanding my horizons and trying that stuff, but I definitely need to ease into it. So how do you think I should go about making friends? Grades are obviously important. But I want to make good connections and have fun, especially since I only get two years at my new school because of community college. Uh, my only real plan as of now was to play pickup basketball, and connect with people there and join a few random clubs. I'm no Bobby Jones. Shout out to the 83 76ers. Shout out to the 83 76ers. Love that team. Um, but I'm decent and try to be a player. Everyone want to play with, you know, play. Some, OK, we get it. You're a role guy. Um, despite saying I haven't socialized much over the last couple of years, I don't feel as if I'm bad at talking to people whatsoever. I think of myself as someone people would want to be around once I get comfortable and know what to do, say, I don't mean to come off as cocky in any way, but I think I'm fairly smart, decent looking guy and a good friend. So for me, it's just all about making sure I can get into those specific situations. So he wants to know how he can do this. My, my first question would be here, guys, did you have friends in high school or did you not have any friends in high school? Cause it doesn't mean that it's bad that you, you know what I mean? But it's just. It's kind of hard to just turn it on at 20 and be this social guy. Now, I think one of the cool things about college is you kind of reinvent yourself a little bit. You can try to, I mean, a lot of us kind of sort of the to of who we are, but you can kind of like, hey, here are the things I didn't like about me before. So let me try to like do this all over again and start with a clean slate. And some people pull it off. Some people don't. I also think the making friends thing, some people really absolutely make it a priority. Uh, I never really realized it until I started hanging out with some of my more successful friends that I was like, oh, that's why you keep in touch with all these people. That's why you're always checking in. That's why you're always introducing people to each other. Like you have this Rolodex of people where I think half the day these guys spend just contacting people and then just trying to hook them all up with somebody else. So you're always sort of in the mix. Like I am not and have always been terrible at making new friends when I moved to a new place because I probably just like my core guys so much. And I know it's never going to be like that again. And then I feel like somebody's going to ask me for something all the time. So I've done a really, really bad job about it over over the second half of my life. Um, And I, you know, I don't think that's ever going to change necessarily. So whatever. but. I I think you're on the right track here with the basketball thing and joining a few clubs. But really, it's not going to be the club. It's not going to be the person. It's going to be about how important it is to you, right? Any of the things that we really want to change with our lives. You know, once I decided it was all about work and career, then I made that shift. There's other things I still wanted to do. At times, I can feel like I can't get my arms around all the stuff that I'm hoping to do in my own life. And I do think there's a downside to going, all right, I want to change all of these things at once because it doesn't work that way. But if you prioritize the way you did with grades and clearly kicking ass at a junior college and doing well enough to get into a really good Big Ten school, you're going to have to kind of use some of those things that motivated you and focused you to do that in making friends. But then the downside of that is if you're like super, hey, do you want to be best friends guy and be eager, then guys are brutal with it. I mean, women are so much better at, you know, like kind of buying in now, I would say we do a bad job as guys opening up and becoming friends. I think if you wanted to make it uh, positive for women, it's that they're more accepting right away. Um, then you could also make it a negative and be like, how can you have to be best friends with everybody after like one lunch? Um, but guys can almost, you know how, like when you have no confidence and you're out and you're talking to women when you're younger and they can smell it on you like a cologne that says no confidence. I think guys can kind of feel the desperation if you're trying to make friends. So I'm not trying to psych you out here, but you focusing on making friends is probably more about putting yourself into situations where you are meeting new people, but also trying to be as cool about it as you can. And I, I know that sounds complicated, but it's true. I mean, I've even had a couple of situations where, you know, there's guys in certain levels where I moved out here to LA. And I might have been a little too eager because I was like, "Oh, these are the guys I'm going to want to hang out with. And then you start checking in, but you start checking in and you know, you don't hear back or you don't, yeah, believe it or not. Number three podcast is sports. I don't always get a call back, believe it or not. So, um, the other thing too, is I'm so much older that I think I'm getting to the point where like some of the guys with young kids and the wives are like, "What? he's coming over. Like, there's just going to be a bunch of kids here. He's cool with that. And he'd be like, yeah, I guess he likes kids, but what's his deal? He's not married. He has no kids. And He's he's going to stop by to a birthday party. Like, is he fucking serious? It's like, just yeah. him. Yeah. It's just him again. Be <laughs> like, Hey, I got two tickets to this thing. Be like, do you want to bring anyone? No, no, I'll just, you know, all right. Well, do you want the second ticket? No, I'm fine. I'll just, I'll just roll in solo. Like, he just went to Switzerland by himself. Nah, don't invite him, actually. So I'm I'm at a weird age where there's starting to be some questions asked about me about kind of like where my head's at um, because I don't have a family. So I I think at the younger stage, and, and I want Kyle and Suri to jump in here and take over this thing, you've got to be a little, you've got to focus because it matters and make a priority, but you can't let anyone know that you're making it this big a priority because – then you're just going to kind of like, it's, it's like, I know once anybody knows me, they're going to love hanging out with me, but I know that like, you know, let's, I'm not going to say that, like, Josh Demel's is a great example. Everybody would run buddies with Josh Demel. I've texted him a few times, invited him a couple things, because clearly that would be a world I would like to kick the tires on. And I'm saying this because I know if it gets back to him, he's just going to laugh his head off because he's actually a really great guy. I know when to lay out and not keep asking Josh Demel this shit. All right. So there's a perfect example of that. I, I'm not saying you're gonna meet Josh Duhamel, but I know that I, you know, I've got to be delicate with the way I handle that one. I haven't ruled out that we'll hang out down here in Manhattan Beach at some point. I almost put together this mega night with a lot of big names and good guys, and it sort of fell through. And you're like, is it me? I'm like, eh, I'm not gonna sit here and start beating myself up internally. I'm just I'm swimming in pretty exclusive waters. And if if uh, if a guy can't make it down for a dinner to meet up with other pro athletes you know, you're just gonna chalk that one up and by the way every one of these people have kids so that that's also another problem that i'm facing all right i don't know did i just give myself advice
4: or did, what did i do there kyle help us out i think that was great advice for you um i'm actually in the same i mean i was in the same boat that this guy was in my second tour of college uh because i was uh gone ga- i was like freshman you know I, it would have been a lot easier for him if he was a freshman and everybody was at the same orientation and was in the same intro classes and like would walk out together, like, oh, what the fuck is this about? Intro to psych, huh? But like now, it's like people have made their, you know, stuff. He's this, he's what a junior now. He said he did two years of yeah. community college. So I came back as a sophomore after being suspended for a year, and I went back to the same college because I couldn't go. Anywhere time else. out, time out. Oh, time shit, out. I thought you knew this already. No, go ahead. No, oh, I got suspended actually um, before a like, syllabus week of my sophomore year uh, with my buddy from home came back, uh, came with me for like the first weekend and my dad dropped me off and like 48 hours later I was kicked out. So I didn't make it to a class. <laughs>
3: <Okay>. <laughs>
0: wait okay well how, how did so you got kicked off classes haven't even started a lot of people will tell you hey don't even show up that first week because people are adding and dropping anyway which is some yeah, of the, that's
4: why i brought my friend that's right. why i brought my friend from home so but, he could see so
0: yeah geez. i remember i remember like thinking that was normal because we were all doing it and then you get to kind of like your junior year and you go you know it's a horrible first impression is the classes start getting a little more specific towards your major and they're smaller it's like yeah you know whatever bad drop i'll see you guys class
4: four all right. How did you get kicked out in 48 hours? Um, <clears throat> actually, I got stopped by a bicycle cop and I had like uh, a bunch of Bud Light platinums in my backpack and I had two big fat blunts in my hands. And um, <laughs> the guy actually called my name. I think I think it was because uh, of the, the sound that my backpack was making. And we were in like a sophomore dorm. So it's like nobody in that area is really supposed to be old enough to be drinking anyway. And he called my name. Uh, I was waiting for a ride. And he said my name and I just threw the two blunts in opposite directions. He's like, what did you just throw? And I was like, nothing. And he made me stay there while he went and got back up. And so he found like a fake ID and beer and whatever. And um, I just went the next day and they were like, look at this file. And I had just had a huge file already. And they were like, you should have been gone last year. So you have to go home for at least a year. What else is on the file? Oh, grand larceny with that whole thing. I found that thing in the street, I told you, and um (laughs) A uh, couple UPM stuff and you know like a fight here and you know there was just stuff. There was it was like a lot. It was actually a large file, so it was um pretty privileged to make it through that freshman year. So, so anyway, what what I was saying is, is like I then had to take a year off. When I came back, everybody else had transferred from Potsdam, shocker, to somewhere else. So then I basically had to start all over again. And um, so I'm basically like, and and it was, it was kind of hard. It was, people had formed their ways and, and friends and groups and whatever. And they'd already decided if they were going to join a fraternity or not, or be like regular people. And I just had to kind of figure out what to do. And honestly, what happened for me was I was actually selling reservation cigarettes. There was an um, Indian reservation right there. And so how I ended up with my buddies who are still my friends to this day was one of them was buying um like marb fake marlboro red reservation brand cigarettes for me and he was like hey we actually need one guy for intramural football and that's how i met all my friends is like he brought the guy that sold them so like what's your cigarette business is what i'm saying is it's probably intramurals for you like i think you're probably right just go to the intramurals and like you know see who's around like it might be just a strange it might be the like a unique thing to you that brings you towards people but it, it's really hard when people are already um friends so it might be a little unorthodox the way that you make your friends but i think he's got the exact right idea wow yeah What are you looking at ryan There's a no lot. I, I just
0: mean, i just don't i mean i have a million follow-ups so we're almost an hour 45 into this pod so we're gonna have to revisit this another time um that's that's great though you're right like if you can't smuggle in non-government cigarettes if you can't <laughs> You know, if you can't play intramural football, sign up for, you know what else I would do? Try to find like a cool, decent, you know, bar, pub, restaurant thing where people hang out and there's college staff people there and see if you can, you know, work, you know, floor guy or something one night a week, you know, uh,
3: make yourself available. I think is what,
0: yeah, is like what you, you gotta, get, co- yeah. what you don't want to do is do a thing where you're like me, where you're like, Hey, you haven't left your, you haven't gone outside in 48 days and talk to another person you know, like, don't do that Do something where it's like, okay, it's, it's like, I know your grades are important, but not every single person that prioritizes, prioritizes some social stuff get bad grades. So you can figure out a way to do it. You're going to have to get yourself uncomfortable here a little bit. You're going to have to get yourself uncomfortable, prioritize being in settings where you're meeting other people, but you have to, as a guy, I can just tell you this. If you come off as like, Hey, do you want to be best friends? Five minutes in, everybody's going to think you're a loser. So you can't do that. Um, that's a long podcast and I do not I w I don't I don't want to do anything else now that we know that Kyle had a file that Potsdam was like, why are you still here?
3: <laughs> wait, I thought we kicked <laughs> you out last semester. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, why are, wait. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the movie or TV character that, that Kyle was, a younger Kyle. And by the way, for people that are like listening to this, Kyle is is about as trustworthy a person that I've I've ever worked with and gets it done and it, it, these early mornings, like he's on top of all of it. You're not even thirty yet either, right? Twenty-seven. Yeah, he's a young kid. Think about how how much you've grown in just five or six years,
4: or three. For real, for real. Left with like a three point five too in my major, actually. That's all that counts, right? The major three point five. That's what you, you say if, overall. Yeah. If,
0: if the overall number sucks, then focus on that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the, the major is three five. Yeah, it's on there. Trust me. <laughs> okay. Uh there you go. That's our podcast. Three days a week now. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We're we'll coming back early on Monday. Trent Dilfer will be joining us all season. Jonathan Vilma will be joining us as well. Uh, probably having Danny Cannell stop by. I went on his radio show today. So we have a really good group of guests lined up. Some surprises, some other things we're working on. And uh, that'll do it for today's episode. Please subscribe, rate, review, and we'll talk to you on, uh, yeah, Monday. Thanks to Steve and Second Chance Kyle.